beginning in verse 35. I'll read all the way to the end of the chapter. So Mark chapter 12. Again, verse 35. <clears throat> and as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, How can the scribes say that the Christ is the Son of David? David himself, in the Holy Spirit, declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord, so how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. And in his teaching, he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had and all she had to live on. God bless the reading of your word and the preaching of it for the building up of your church and the calling of your people to yourself. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Jesus continues his assault on the religious leaders of his day. Not personal attacks, but his aim is at their religious hypocrisy. And so beginning in somewhere in chapter 11 all the way uh, now through chapter 12, he's been in the temple and he's been teaching. And he's been answering questions. People want to know, hey, where did this authority come from, right? Who gave you the right to tell us what you're telling us? Who gave you the right to run us out of the temple, even though they were abusing and misusing the temple? Who gave you the right to teach in such a way? And then they wanted to trick him. They tried all kinds of tricks. But Jesus continues just to wail away at their arrogance and their self-righteousness. The very ones, the teachers who should have been more humble, the ones who should have been aware of their own need for God and for righteousness outside themselves were depending on their own righteousness. And the ones who should have recognized Jesus as the promised Messiah did not. So the very teachers of the Old Testament Scriptures, the scribes, those who were considered professional or experts at the law they didn't recognize their own scriptures were being fulfilled right in front of their face in this person named jesus and so because of their failure to properly interpret the old testament they couldn't see him they wanted a warrior right to come in and to take away rome they wanted not a servant leader but a warrior leader they thought the throne of David would continue to be filled or would be filled once again with a strong military guy who would be wise and conquer Rome and restore Israel to her 
fame and fortune. They missed Isaiah 53, the whole suffering servant passage, that this one that would come would not be a warrior, but he would be a suffering one, a serving one. As Jesus himself said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. And they missed it. He was very unique. And he was a Messiah. And we'll talk about this in a minute. The common people recognize it, but the ones who should have, the teachers of the law, didn't recognize him. And so what Jesus does here in our text, he calls attention to the scribes again. Matthew points out he actually asked them a question. Who do you say David, uh, who do you say the Christ is or the Messiah? Who is he? And the scribes answered correctly, well, he's the son of David. So then Jesus asked this question. Okay, well, then how is it if y'all are the experts of the law and you teach that the Christ will be the son of David, then explain how it is that David calls the Christ both his son and his Lord. And so he quotes Psalm 110. Michael read that whole psalm for us. But there's Psalm 110, I believe, is the most quoted psalm in all the New Testament. You'll find it in Acts. You'll find it uh, in Hebrews. You'll find it, I think, even in John. you find it uh, in, in much of Paul's writings. Um, it's quoted often. This idea that David wasn't talking about himself. My Lord will say, or the Lord will say to my Lord. Yahweh will say to Adonai. God the Father will say to the Son. And that's why David said, he's my Lord. And so what happens here, the, the scribes, as has already been happening, they have no answer for Jesus' question. How is it? Explain. You're the experts. Why does David call his son his Lord? And they have no answer. But Jesus, I think, without even saying, he goes on to teach that this is him. As it points out to us, the great throng heard him gladly the common people that said a chapter earlier they listened and they understood oh the messiah is son of david because he comes through that lineage but he's also david's lord because he is the messiah and he is also of a divine lineage he's 100 god 100 man we have the we have the uh, you know blessing of being able to have the completion of the canon, the Old and the New Testament. We get to read the New Testament. We see clearly that the apostles and Jesus himself says, I'm the one that was prophesied about. All through the Old Testament, even back prior to the psalmist, way back to Solomon, God promised, I will put a son of David on the throne and it'll be established forever. And again, the Jews were thinking one day, God's going to bring us back. He's going, to give us a, he's going to give us a great man that's going to be able to lead us in victory. And, of course, God did that, but not the kind of victory they were thinking. As Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, we'd fight. But the Christ, the Messiah of God, came not to redeem Israel, but to redeem the church and his people. And so... He's pointing this out. 
And the people understand what he's saying. The scribes, it's going right past them. But we understand spiritual blindness, don't we? If you can't hear it, you can't hear it. If you can't see it, you can't see it. But once you do see it, you absolutely can't unsee it. And you can't unknow it. When God gives you eyes to see and ears to hear that Jesus is the Christ and that there's no other way to God except through him, you can't believe anything else. Though all hell come against you and try to convince you that there's another way to God, you will believe that God sent Christ, his only son, the son of David, the Lord of David, and the Lord of all to be Savior of all who will believe in him. And so that's what Jesus does here. He points that out. He's been teaching really in a way to shut the mouths of the scribes. And we found out in the last chapter that nobody asked him any questions after this. He just teaches and people listen. But then he goes on while he's got everybody's attention. And he says, flat out, and don't mimic the religious leaders of Israel. They come out in their long flowy robes and all their rings and their attire and they make a big show of themselves. And in Matthew's account of this same story, he points out they sit in the place of Moses, they teach the law, listen to the law, but don't follow the leaders because they're corrupt and they're evil and they're wicked. We need a good dose of this today. When it comes to much of what's called evangelicalism, we need people to understand don't follow the religious leaders. They're corrupt. They're wicked. They're evil. They want money. They want fame and fortune. But they, like the scribes and the Pharisees of Jesus' day, they're just showy exterior Examples of an inward, empty, corrupt life. In church today, or at least in the American view of Christianity, nothing's out of bounds. Everything's orthodox. Everything is acceptable except not to accept everything, right? And it should be an eye-opener to us that Jesus had to warn the people of his day. Hey, these false teachers, don't follow them. They will receive a greater condemnation. That's a frightening thought. And so I stand before you and encourage you as the people of God who he has put before me, be careful who you listen to, be careful who you follow, read the scriptures for yourself, and don't be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. And that's what Jesus' point is here. Hey, even you recognize what I'm teaching is true. The teachers of the law can't even hear that I'm talking about their law that they're supposed to know. And then he solidifies his teaching with an illustration. This widow. He said, I'm gonna get you know, I'm gonna give you an example here, a picture that you can understand. All these people putting in money from the overflow. 
And then this poor widow comes and puts in everything she has, which is almost nothing. But he says to them, this poor widow is putting more in than everyone else combined because she's contributed out of her poverty and everybody else has contributed from their abundance. That's an amazing illustration, is it not? A great illustration of humility. A great illustration of somebody's heart who's really been changed, the inside of a person who's different. And I don't think this is a lesson about, hey, if you if you got anything in your pocket when you leave today, you're not right with God. Now, a lot of people have used that, right? And they've passed the offering plate three or four times. Hey, if you still got something in your pocket, think about the widow. She gave everything, and he gave everything. I don't think this is a lesson about that, about giving it all. I think this is a lesson about there's an exterior appearance of righteousness, and then there's an interior reality of it. This lady gave all she had, not so anybody would see. I would imagine she was probably embarrassed when she went up and put her money in and people saw that it wasn't very much. They might have been thinking, what a stingy person. Look at all, I, look at all these other people are giving. And here's a stingy little lady not knowing that she gave everything she had. But the thing is, and I believe this is the point, but God knows. What, what does the Bible say? Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And that's the point I think Jesus is trying to make here. Hey, these men are just for show. Don't get lost in this religiosity because the Messiah is standing right before you and he knows the heart of men. You can fool everybody, but you can't fool God. The promised one is here. And as Jesus himself quoted Psalm 110, everything, every enemy has been put under the feet of this Messiah. And Hebrews 2 said, there is nothing left out from under his control. God put everything under his control and power. In other words, he's accomplished everything he came to accomplish. And after accomplishing a perfect life, a sinless life, never disobeying the law, always keeping it, yet dying in the place of sinners. He died and he was buried and he rose again, overcoming death, hell, and the grave and conquering sin. And the Bible teaches us that then he went to the right hand of God the Father where he sits now. We call this his session, his seating. He is there at the right hand of God, all power in heaven and earth given to him, all enemies under his feet including all those who have posed as followers, all those who have posed as teachers. So I believe Jesus' message here is beware. Don't be fake. Don't be false. God knows your heart. This widow was willing to give all because Jesus was all. Your love for God is not determined by how much you do or how much men see you. So I want to say this to you. You may be serving in obscurity. Hey, again, God knows. Everybody wants to be an internet sensation these days. Everybody wants to be a, a, 
popular preacher that everybody has on their podcast and everybody tweets their their tweets. But one of the reasons that we pray every week for the persecuted church is because so many of those people, nobody will ever know who they are except those few people that God puts in front of them and they faithfully proclaim the gospel. But God knows who they are. And one day we'll know who they are somehow. We'll be able to get to glory and we'll see these little nobodies that were big somebodies like this widow. And that might be you. Hey, honestly, it's all of us. In the grand scheme of things, we're pretty much nobodies, all of us. A hundred years from now, probably nobody will know who we are or were. But those of us who have been born again because we've put our faith and trust in Christ and he's given us grace and faith to believe in Christ, we will be with him for all eternity. These Pharisees and these scribes that were flashy on the outside and probably monetarily in a good place but no matter how much they rained the coffers with their money, they were inwardly just whitewashed, like whitewashed tombs, as Jesus says in another place. This widow fully inwardly, full inwardly, but broke outwardly. Yet God made her willing to give in a way that pleased him. I think that's all that I ought to encourage you in. Give and serve God in a way that pleases him. Hey, you don't have to please me. I, I try to pat people on the back and let you know I love you and I appreciate you because everything that's done here matters, and it matters to us. But more importantly, hey, if I don't see it, God sees it. I believe this widow understood what Jesus had said earlier. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and your neighbor as yourself was greater than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. Well, actually, a... Uh, a young man said that, but Jesus agreed, yes. So this widow was able to believe that. She couldn't love him with her heart, soul, mind, and strength, and she couldn't love her neighbor as herself, but she understood that was greater than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. And the common people heard him because they knew who he was. This is amazing that the scribes and the, the officials of the law didn't understand that Psalm 110 pointed to the Messiah of Christ who was standing before them. But at least two accounts in Matthew, different blind people, blind men, calling out for Jesus to heal them. You know what they, they cried out? Do you remember? Son of David, have mercy on me. They understood. This Christ was the son of David. He was the fulfillment of all that had been said would happen and take place. There was a Canaanite woman whose daughter was possessed by demons. I'm sure one that nobody wanted anything to do with. And she too cried out, Son of David, have mercy on me. The people understood it. The experts didn't. Maybe the most important thing we learn in these two chapters that we study together is that a very, very, perhaps the most dangerous pitfall for mankind is self-righteousness. The belief that somehow by our good deeds and our good things and the way we look to people that God will, com that will commend us to God and he will accept us. 
Self-righteousness blinds us to our most urgent need, which is real righteousness, which only comes from God through Christ. And you can't earn that. So if you're trying to earn it, stop. Just trust Christ. He's already earned it. This is the greatest news about Christianity. You know, really, I say this a lot, I know, but the one thing that separates Christianity from all other religions in the world, because there's really only two religions in the whole world. I know you look and say, oh, there's millions. I mean, Hinduism has a million gods. They really don't. And there's only two religions. It's the religion that says man can get to God and Christianity which says God came to man through Christ. And you can trust in man's ability to get to God and you never will. You'll end up like these scribes who Jesus said their condemnation will be great. Or you forget trying and forget earning and you trust Christ and you'll be like this widow who Jesus said she's done more than all these put together. So well, she didn't do much. That's the point. Because God has done it all through Christ. So I commend to you the son of David. The Messiah of God. Trust in Him. Put your faith in Him to save you because He's the only one that can. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. Lord, a blessing it is to be able to study together and to preach Your Word, to hear it. Thank You for all the people You've gathered here today and I pray that You've opened hearts and minds to be able to see that You really did send Your Son, Your only begotten Son, to die on a cross so that sinners like us, all of us, could be saved. We can all look back and see where we failed and things we should have done and things we didn't do or things we did and we shouldn't have done. All of that has been nailed to the cross of Christ for those who believe in Him and will be forgiven. It has been. And so God help us to trust in Him. Those of us who have faith in Christ, give us more faith. As we celebrate the supper and the communion together, we acknowledge that Jesus is our Lord. He is the Son of David. He is the Messiah. He is our Savior. And we celebrate that today together. And we receive the grace that you give to us through it in Jesus' name. Amen.